At 33 years old, Craig, better known to some as Whiskey Craig, has already gained a lot of valuable experience in the whisky industry. He's bright, very bright. He has a degree in astrophysics. But his eyes were never set on the stars. Instead, he fell in love at quite an early age with the magic that turns barley, yeast and water into whisky, and the curious chemistry that takes a clear liquid, and depending on the cask it's stored in and how long it's stored for, produces such a variety of single malts, each with its own unique character, colour and flavour. That love affair started on his 18th birthday 15 years ago when he started a part-time job at the Glen Kinchy Distillery in East Lothian, just a short distance outside Edinburgh. Glen Kinchy was just the, the, the springboard. From there, I realised pretty quickly that I wanted to get into kind of storytelling and talking and, and brand ambassador work, you could say. So I left Glen Kinchy and applied to every distillery in Scotland and, and got a role with Macallan and Highland Park out in Canada. And then moved back to Scotland where I got to play with the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society and, and then moved to uh, Brooklady as well. So got to see how they did things. And I'll be honest, most of my job then was just teaching people how to say Brooklady properly. <laughs> yeah, and then moved to the Middle East in, in a commercial role, managing the, the single malt category for an importer out there. And for the last three years, I've essentially been on hiatus in, in Tassie, learning how to make and manage a distillery. So we're making single malt whiskey down there, which was definitely, for me, the, the jewel in the crown of my experience. It was, it was phenomenal. Coming back to your role today, there are three distillery brands that you're now marketing. Came back from Taz. The first thing I did was uh, I looked around to see how many uh, local festivals were on. I wanted to reconnect with the community over here because I think down on the other side of the world, you sort of feel a wee bit isolated from the, the global industry and then I got back and realised pretty quickly that, that everyone knew or had an idea of what we were doing down there and, and obviously down in Taz we have a connection with what was happening here in Scotland and if you'd said to me when I came back which stable of brands would you want to work for? Glendronic, Glenglass and Ben Reich were definitely top of my list. Ben Reich was the first Speyside distillery I, I ever visited and I just remember how versatile that spirit was and, and for me in terms of the whiskies coming out of that place, it's one of the widest but also highest quality ranges in the Scotch industry. And getting to play with that every day is fantastic. And then we've got the Sherry Monster that's Glendronic, very much old Highland style whisky, big and rich, sweetness balanced with meatiness, a totally different spirit to what comes out of the, the stills at Ben Reek and Elgin. But my favourite, you say you should never pick a favourite child, but my favourite distillery that we've got is probably Glenglasser. It's, it's right on the beach up in Port Soy making a, a slightly coastal spirit, tall stills, which is unusual for the Highlands, long fermentations, and the the history and story behind that distillery just absolutely grabbed me straight away. My impression, though, you know, I've, I've seen you on Whiskey Tastings, mm. and one of the things I've noticed is just how important the stories are. You don't bother with the, all the, the technical details. The last three years of, of making single malt, the technical details were, were what we did day to day, but I've, I've always found that the technical details can often turn people off when you're talking about the, the tasting, and it's stories that grab me. If I leave a, a tasting f having felt entertained, I don't focus on how the stuff is made, I focus on why it tastes the way it does, and there's a subtle difference in there. And we were chatting a wee bit earlier about how the politics of the UK actually shape the way that certain whiskies are put together. Yeah, so what you're referring to there is the different taxation between the north, or the, between the Highlands and the Lowlands. Traditionally, um, the, there was a taxation in, in the Lowlands of Scotland where the distilleries down here were taxed based on the number of stills they had. And that, that, that led to Lowland distilleries producing bigger stills and less of them and running them a lot quicker. So the Lowland style of this kind of grassy, slightly sulfury spirit from massive stills wasn't shaped by someone going... 
I'd like to distill that style of spirit. It was shaped by, we pay less tax if we do it this way. And in the Highlands, because it was essentially a farmhouse industry, to begin with, those guys were taxed on the size of the stills that they had. So they were they were producing from smaller stills, which led to a meatier-style spirit. But they could have lots more of the stills, and they could distill much slower because of that. So if you take Glen Kinchy and Glendronach, and you put the two side by side, and you chuck them in a bourbon cask, Glen Kinchy's got this light grassiness which really works well with the vanilla that comes from the bourbon and, and all these like lovely sweet flavours. You throw a Glendronic in there and the spirit is so meaty from those small stills that it actually overpowers the bourbon and the spirit always shines through and makes a completely unbalanced product. So those two whiskies are tasting the way they do because of a decision that was made in Whitehall. Uh, it wasn't actually designed by a distiller back in the day and I find that side of things is fascinating. So what challenges do you face promoting these three brands to the markets that you have been given? The biggest challenge I see is, out of the three brands, Glendronach is globally well-known because it is that big, rich, sweet, sherry-style whiskey. And we're following uh, other big brands that have that style, and people know it, people want it. Glendronach is not something that we, we kind of have to worry about. It's almost the, the foot in the door. But particularly when we, we were travelling to places uh, like Taiwan, Japan, China, or even looking at emerging markets like the Philippines, Indonesia, we're seeing that the, the folk there want to drink what's being consumed in the West. And therefore, Glendronic is an easy sell for them because they see it around the world. But they've never heard of Glenglass or Ben Rieck, so they don't want to spend their money on it. Drinking single malt whiskey out there is almost a, an, an image thing for a lot of people. So our biggest challenge is trying to convey the messages of Ben Rieck and Glenglassa to markets that are very focused on image and that side of things. The other thing, and I wrote a column about this a couple of months ago, we as an industry, everything we do is in English. And when we write tasting notes, we write them based on our own experiences. But if you go to the Philippines and you talk about Iron Brew or you have a look at different fruity flavours that come out, their diet is totally different to ours. Their flavour wheel would look completely different to ours if you went to a local supermarket. And I see that as a big challenge if we want to look at flavour and, and, and sell whisky based on flavour. They're getting a bottle where everything's in English, they might not be able to read that. And even if they do read it, they don't necessarily connect with the flavour profiles that we're putting forward. And I think that's going to be a challenge going forward, trying to teach someone in the Philippines what a cola cube is. In the same way that if I talk to people about durian, the king fruit that smells a little bit like decay and death, people in the UK don't have any idea of what that's like. You know, you can walk into a supermarket in Macau, for example, and you can tell they've just got a fresh batch of durian because it smells like everything in the shop is off. And people there love that. And that translates to, I would say, in Scotland, maybe the smell of a Dunnage warehouse. But it's just there's a, a language barrier. It's all what you're used to. 100%. You put a glass of whiskey in front of people with no other information, and that glass of whiskey will then hopefully help them connect. But they'll connect over different things. But if we're giving them literature that is Western-focused, they're not going to connect with the marketing that works through here, for example. So is there an argument for rewriting the packaging? It's a big project to undertake. One of the, the schemes I'd like to develop is essentially a, a Ben Rieck tasting wheel, global tasting wheel idea. So original wine tasting wheel that was put together was put together with a very simple idea in mind. You have to be able to buy every single aroma on this wheel in the local supermarket. Now, if you took that as a, as a model and you went around the world and you went to the Philippines and went to the supermarket and you start to talk about fruity and sweet, you'd maybe buy a mango 
instead of an apple. Now, that's a totally different aroma and flavour, but what you end up with is a flavour wheel that's local, and then you get local bartenders and, and whiskey experts sitting around looking at this flavour wheel, looking at what's in their glass, and actually writing localised tasting notes. Now, it's not something that we've been able to address yet, but the ultimate goal, obviously, is to then you'd go into, say, the Ben Reek website, and under tasting notes, they'd have all the flags of the world, and you'd click on it and tell you what the local one is in the local language as well as in English. So I think that is something that, as an industry, from a flavour perspective, would be really interesting to develop. That desire to create a local branding, that need to develop a local understanding of taste and flavour, that willingness to think about whisky in interesting, innovative, inclusive ways, are a hallmark of Craig Johnson. How well his new employers respond could be a major challenge. How well he rises to that may determine his own future. We'll certainly be hearing more about these and the other challenges and projects he's turning his imagination to solving. We'll be hearing regularly about his progress in future episodes.